0: We're in a really important season here at 180 and it's good to have you here. Those of you that are online watching from home, we're glad you're there. Those of you in our 180 homes in Colorado, give a shout out to Colorado, would you? Duncan and Angie and everyone there. Folks listening around the world, it's good to have you here. But this is vitally important. Why are we calling it discovery? If you weren't here last week, you know that we spiked a couple of very important things, and that is, what is it to experience a 180 in your life, and how do lives really change? We know that we struggle with an illusion of salvation in our Christian culture today, and then a lot of people wonder, how do we change? And the biggest problem with that is, we think it's up to us to change our life, and it's not. That is God. He can do it. Today we're going to have Pastor Ajit dish up something really important. We're in for a treat. Let me pray over him before we bust into the word. If you'd bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for Ajit. I thank you for his heart for you. And I thank you for his heart for 180 Chicago. God, today glorify yourself in a big way. Lift your name high here. And we say it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for Ajit. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning.
1: Well, one of the most baffling things about growing growing up in my home city in India was that even though there was plenty of rain every year, there was always a shortage of water. Plenty of rain, no water. You're going to see this picture up on your screen right now. Look at that. So much rain. We have these tropical monsoons every year. And I remember like that, you know, the guy, this guy—we're walking on water. I remember going to school, wading through knee-high, knee-deep water, right? Plenty of rain, and you see, you see the airport right there, completely flooded. The town generally was closed for about four or five days, so we're at home having fun, you know. Then there's a boat right in our main thoroughfare, like good. And my, my, one of my vivid memories was, you know, in the year 2008, it was pouring outside. We were almost marooned in, our, uh, in my home, and I heard the news that there was a terrorist attack. You know, there were some terrorists who had, you know, come by boat to the city of Mumbai. I'm from Chennai, which is down south, and they had uh, stormed this five-star, amazing, prestigious hotels where some of the celebrities stayed, and they held about 200 people hostage, And it was about two days we saw everything unfold on TV. The Indian special forces out there trying to, like, storm this hotel. It was crazy. And I still remember coming out and seeing water that was this high, two feet, three feet. And yet when summer rolls by, there's a shortage of water. You're going to see up on your screen. This is what happens. Let me tell you. Summer is a time to have fun, right? I'm off of school, but my mom wakes me up at 5.30. You know why? Because, hey, there's going to be water for just an hour a day. Fill up everything that's there in this house because we need water for the whole day. So we would begrudgingly go and fill up every pot and pan in the kitchen. I'm telling you, every pot and pan was filled up with water because we had to last we needed it to last through the day and if we were to use we had to ration it so if we were to use a little bit more than what was needed man you're gonna hear a mouthful or earful from my mom and then if that wasn't enough I had to my brother and I we had to take one of these pots go and stand outside in a line trying to fill up water and let me tell you I'm not a big fan of wrestling WWE but who needs wrestling when you can see fights right there? Right? There's always a shortage of water. The bottom line is we received so much rain, yet the city was not positioned to take advantage of it. You know what? Sometimes our Christian lives can be like that as well. In 1 Peter 1.3, Peter says, His divine power has granted us... All things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that we need for life, God's divine power has granted it to us. Jesus even echoes that in John 10.10. He says, I have come to give you life and they may have life more abundantly. Abundant life. In God's word, God's word is full of promises. You've been given access to every spiritual blessing. You've been promised victory over sin. God promises to take care of our needs. He promises his presence, his strength, his wisdom. We are chosen and destined to bear much fruit. We're chosen to have an impact in our world. But there seems to be a disconnect. What, we, what God wants, a disconnect between what God wants for us and what we actually experience. We have the promises of God, but what we lay hold of is a different story. We know we have victory in Christ, but experiencing that is hard. We're not content with our walk with God. We're frustrated. We're defeated. We're tired. We want a breakthrough. Dallas Willard, one of the foremost American philosophers, he taught philosophy at the University of Southern Southern California. He talks about that disconnect. He talks about how God revealed this disconnect in his life where even though he knew what he needed to do, he was not able to do it. He talks about this one time where he says, I came to realize I did not love people Next door, my neighbors, they were by any standards dangerous and unpleasant people, ex-bikers, who made their living selling drugs. They had never tried to harm my family, but the constant traffic of people buying drugs, a number of whom sat in the yard while shooting up, began to wear down my patience. As I brooded over them one day, indulging my irritation, the Lord helped me to see that I really had no love for them. Again, a disconnect. We know we got to love our neighbor, but here's the reality. That after suffering for them for all these years, I would secretly be happy if they died so we could be rid of them. I realized how little I truly cared for nearly all of the people I dealt with through the day, even on religious business and he goes on but is it possible to be like Jesus can we actually have the character of the heavenly father we know god shows sincere love for everyone and is consistently kind even to even the ungrateful jesus likewise showed himself to be merciful freely forgave injuries and was glad to simply give expecting nothing back and he goes it is possible I now believe to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes, ordinary people like you and me in common surroundings can live from the abundance of God's kingdom. Letting the spirit and the actions of Jesus be the natural outflow from their lives. It is possible to live this life. Living a life from the abundance of God's kingdom. And that's what we want at 180. Today, we're answering the question, what is the primary focus of 180? What do we want to do? Why do we meet as a church? Why do we even exist as a church? Here's our mission. Our mission is to help people come alive as disciples of Christ, to help people come alive as disciples of Christ. We want each and every one of us here to be able to experience the power of God in our own lives. We want each of us to be delivered from habits and hang-ups and those secret sins that hold us back from fruitfulness. We want everyone to experience the joy of giving yourself away and a loving God or a loving yourself to see you being used by God. This is our focus. This is our pursuit. And this is why we exist, to help people come alive as disciples of Christ. Next week, we're going to look at how this mission is going to be practically played out. But today, I just want to take a step back and parse out our mission statement, specifically focusing on what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Who is a disciple of Christ. The word disciple in itself is it just means a learner or a follower. Now, a follower is not someone who passively follows, like you know, you know, you follow people on YouTube, on Facebook, and you do nothing about it. But that's not what the word means. Your follower is someone who chooses to wholeheartedly adhere to the teachings and more importantly, the lifestyle of his or her master. That's what being a disciple is all about. And discipling, discipleship, refers to this lifelong, ongoing process of us growing as Christ followers. A year ago, our pastoral team here, in order to get more clarity on the word discipling, even if I were to go around now and ask you, what is a disciple? What is discipleship? I know we all will have a lot of answers. But we wanted to get clarity on what does the Word of God say about what it means To be a disciple of Jesus. And we came up with four descriptors for a disciple. And you have it right here. Those four descriptors of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And we're going to go over each of them very quickly. And here's what I want you to do. I want these four words to be entrenched in your hearts. When someone asks you, hey, tell me, what is it to be a disciple of Christ? These words are in your heart. We call them our culture markers because we want these descriptors to define the culture of who we are at 180 Chicago. Who is a disciple? First up, a disciple is a self denier. A disciple is a self denier. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23, this is what Jesus says. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if anyone would follow me, or if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And he goes on. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Self-denial a lot of times is viewed as the culmination of our Christian existence. It's, it's, we think it's reserved for those holy, holy ones. It's for them. But not for me. But here's what Jesus says. It's the entry, it's the gateway to discipleship. Self-denial isn't the pinnacle of discipleship. It is the prerequisite of discipleship. God wants us to deny ourselves and then take up the cross and follow him. As you see here, we have the symbol... Of the cross right here. The cross is the symbol of self-denial. And today, we probably have a romanticized view of the cross. You know, it's come to symbolize Christianity. It adorns our homes, our churches. And we wear it around our necks as a symbol of pride. But in Jesus' day, that wasn't how it was viewed. It was a symbol of shame, torture and execution. Crucifixion on the cross, in fact, was the most brutal and the, shame, and the most shameful way to die in antiquity. And when someone was sentenced to death by crucifixion, he was seen carrying the cross on the streets of the city, and everyone knew that it was, his end was near. It was a brutal way to die. And similarly, when we give our lives to Jesus, we choose to deny ourselves. We figuratively put to end our life as we know it. And I love God to be the master of our lives. Self-denial doesn't have to be this fancy word or a word that gives us palpitations. Oh, self-denial. I was thinking about it. How about we turn it into a positive? Self-denial is just living out our kingdom identity, a new kingdom reality that we belong to Jesus, that it's no longer about us, and that we have Jesus as the Lord and master of our lives. And Apostle Paul says that in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified With Christ. So he's denied himself. He's taken up his cross. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's what God wants for us as disciples. Letting him be the Lord and master of our lives. There is an upside to this, and we've read it. Verse 24, for whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. My wife and I, we're in a new season of parenting two kids. And we're learning what self-denial is in a whole different way. We have a five-month-old who never sleeps at night. So... Even, even last night, we are shot. You know, my wife couldn't make it, in fact, you know, because she slept an hour last night. And then we have a toddler who's almost three who's a completely different story. You know, I, one of the things that I love to do is have, you know, my favorite meals. I love those Chick-fil-A fries, and sometimes I go out and get some bubble tea. And you know who's there next to me? Dad, can I have one more? Can I have one more? I'm like, What? I just have like a medium fry. I gotta heat the whole thing. I was like, can I have one more, please? And then nothing is off limits. I've had to purchase so many things, even for work, because she's taking it and we can never find where it is. I don't know where it goes. We just have a two bedroom condo, but I can't find what happens to my stuff. And then, and then she loves to play pretend doctor. You know, if you were to ask her, hey, what's your name? She'll say, my name is Dr. Roshni, right? And then I have literally had, on average, 15 to 20 checkups a day. I should be really healthy right now. 15 to 20 checkups. And then she goes, dad, you got to check me up. And then I start, you know, I'm trying to, like, cut corners. I want to get going. You know, I just take the stethoscope out. And she's like, no, no, no. Wear your gloves. I was like, okay. I wear one glove. And then she's like, no, you got to wear both. I'm like, oh, my. Then it keeps going on and on and on. Self-denial. It's a great way. But you know what? I would, as inconvenient as it might be, Nothing can rival the joy that these kids bring. That's the life that God is calling us to as well. We might think, oh, I got to give up my dreams. I got to give up my aspirations. Oh, it's no longer about me. Oh, I'm going to lose it. No. God has something better for you that you can't imagine that when you deny yourself, take up the cross, and you choose to follow him, the joy that you're going to experience is way more than what you could settle for. There is real joy in giving yourself away, and that is a disciple, is a self-denier. A disciple is a love giver. And we see this in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, That you love one another just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. Because just as I have loved you, you have to love one another. And the context in this passage cues us in as to the kind of love that God, Jesus, is referring to. Here in John chapter 13. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. You read in verse, if we go back. In verse five, verse four. He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Now this might not seem a big deal to us but it was definitely a big deal in the Jewish society. It was something that was unimaginable and revolutionary. We know in the biblical world that the Jews were so particular about cleanliness. You have verses after verses in the Torah about what's unclean, what's clean. And here washing one's feet was one of the most menial tasks that a person can do in fact no Jew would ever do it you had Gentile slaves assigned for this purpose to wash someone's feet and here Jesus the Lord of this universe stoops down To a level that's never been seen before in the Jewish society. And he washes the feet of his disciples. And you see Peter's reaction here. I so relate to Peter's reaction here in uh, verse 6. So he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? So he sensed a little bit of hesitancy. What's going on? Are you going to wash my feet too? And Jesus says... Answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And then he backs, he, he backs down. He says, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. So you see, there's this little bit of hesitancy because it's uncomfortable. He does not, Peter would... I would imagine would be more than happy to wash Jesus' feet, the Messiah, the promised one. But here Jesus stoops down and washes the feet of his disciples. Sacrificial love isn't based on an emotion or feeling. It is a supernatural response to what we have received. It's not based on what other people do to us, but it's based on what Jesus has done for us. What does washing one's feet look like that to you? I know we have ceremonies at weddings where this is done, but figuratively, what does that mean for you in your daily life? What does it mean for us? What does it look like with our spouse, with our kids, in our community, our family, our extended family, our co-workers, our neighbor? What does that mean for us? One of the things that really impacted me just growing up, I think it was in third grade, where we did a field trip to this orphanage that was started by Mother Teresa, Missionaries of Charity, and just going there and seeing the love that these nuns were, showering on these kids who were shunned from society, just thrown away. And here you have a group of people showing unconditional love. Just, it just I was blown away. And they had so much favor in our community with authorities, with the government for what they did. There was just so much respect. sacrificial love changes everything. We don't have to go and obviously there'll be times where we're defending our faith, we're arguing, but the most powerful force of evangelizing is you showing, is us showing sacrificial love. And people don't expect it, they go, what are you doing? Well, we're doing it because Jesus first loved us. That's what Jesus calls us to do. You and I we're called to be love givers moving on a disciple is a scripture consumer john 8:31 jesus says so jesus said to the jews who had believed in him if you abide in my word if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free you know this phrase i think everyone knows it we've it's used in pop culture and it's almost devoid of its context jesus says if you abide in my word you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and then the truth shall set you free and it goes on if you go down in verse 34 it gives the context of what does God's word set us free from Jesus says in verse 34 truly truly I say to you everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin the slave does not remain in the house forever the son remains so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed when you abide in God's word you will experience true freedom from sin from things that hold us up You know, we were talking about our mission to come alive as disciples of Christ. The way we do that is abiding in God's word. And there's a direct connection between abiding in God's word and our relationship with God. A lot of times, scripture reading gets a bad rep. You know, we almost think of it as a chore. You know, we got to check our boxes today, right? But that's not what it is what if we see scripture reading as a time where you are communing with the god who gave his life for you what if we have it you know come at it from a different point of view where it's not about reading a couple of verses a day but more so coming at it as the sovereign god who loves me who gave himself for me you speaking through his word consuming scripture is a reflexive hunger when your soul has been transformed by God it's a reaction to what God has again done for us the number of uh, U.S. adults who read the Bible saw an unprecedented drop last year according to the state of the Bible report while 77 percent of U.S. adults have a Bible the percentage of adults who are Bible users, people who read the Bible on their own outside of church setting at least three times, three to four times a year. So we're, we're looking at people who read the Bible four times a year dropped to 39%. So these are Bible owners who read the Bible three to four times a year. and That's 39%. When asked to voice their frustrations related to Bible usage, the highest percentage of boomers, 22%, elders, um, 22%, and Generation X, 29%, was they did not have enough time. That's what the millennials said as well. They They were tied for not having enough time and then not knowing where to start. you know what? If we are captivated by God's love, I think we would prioritize. We would think of Bible reading a little, little differently. What captures our hearts captures our attention. You guys might not know it, but there's a cricket World Cup going on. There's a cricket World Cup going on. In fact, yesterday we had India play Pakistan. Fun fact for you, the match set a global record for the highest number of online streaming, concurrent viewers in the world. So with 35 million concurrent viewers, and I'm happy to say that I was one of them. I was watching them. But you know what? The match begins at 3.30 in the morning, right? 3.30. As much as I love American sports, I love everything. I love basketball, I love football. Cricket is my first love for sports, and you know what I do? I wake up at 3.30 to watch India play. And hopefully they can go on to win this World Cup. What captures our heart captures our attention. We can say we don't have enough time. But if we were to really, really look at it, are we really prioritizing God's word? You know what, the only way to know God, do you know why reading the Bible is important? If we want to be a disciple, if we want to be a follower of Christ, we need to know who Jesus was. We need to know about God. We need to know what Jesus did. And the only way to do that is through his word. This is the special, theologians call it, special revelation from God. This is what we have to know God. How about we conceptualize Bible reading differently? Not as a chore, but as a meeting with God, where you are communing with the person, with the God who loves you the most that anyone can ever love you. Finally, a disciple is a disciple maker. Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. I think the thing that stands out to us in regards to this verse is the word go. You know, we always think of, oh, we got to go into the world. And a lot of times we interpret that as like, oh, these, this refers to the missionaries who have gone to all parts of the world where the gospel has never been preached before. I'm not called to do that, so I don't need to go. Surely this command doesn't apply to me. But you know what? The main command in this verse is not the word go if you look at the greek it's the word make disciples the words go and teach and observe they're all participles things that support the main word so the main command is for all of us to make disciples disciples And we see in Matthew 4, Matthew is such a beautiful book. It's bookended by this disciple-making thing. When Jesus starts his ministry, he goes out to Peter and, and the other disciples and he goes, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God doesn't call us just for ourselves. He says, follow me, be my disciple so you can be a fisher of men. And then at the end of the book, Jesus commissions them. He says, go and make disciples. So implicit in Jesus' call to become his disciples is the call to make disciples. Every disciple is a disciple maker. You're going to see that on your screen. Every disciple is a disciple maker. And this is not something we, we don't engage in disciple making. This is our agenda, it's something that we want to do. You know, we want more people in our church. That's not the point. It's because d- disciple making is fueled by Jesus' authority. He says, All authority has been given to me, and I'm authorizing you to go and make disciples. Start where you are, start small. What does it mean to come alongside someone right here at church who you can disciple or who, someone who you can be walking life with? What does it mean to make disciples at home, at work? And you know what? Disciple-making carries the promise of God's presence. Jesus tells us, "Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. If you want to feel God's presence, go make disciples because Jesus is with you. Self-denier, love-giver, scripture consumer, disciple-maker. That's what a disciple is. I want to end by just reading this one passage to kind of frame this in context. It's in John 15... Verses 5 to 8. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide with me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If You abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I think the temptation with these descriptors is for us to now go and try to bootstrap and try to do this on our own. Oh, we want to be a self denier. I'm going to do whatever it takes. That's not the posture. That God wants us. Jesus says, Abide in me. You don't focus on the fruit. Abide in me. And when you do that, you're gonna be a self denier. You're gonna be a love giver. You're gonna be a scripture consumer, and you're gonna be surprised. You will become a disciple maker. Proximity with Jesus is the most vital ingredient in coming alive as disciples of Christ proximity with Jesus and imagine with me even as we at 180 Chicago our mission is to help people come alive as disciples that you and I one person at a time we abide in Jesus and we begin to bear these fruits God can use us to change us our city amen could you join me in a word of prayer God, we just want to thank you for calling us to be your disciples. What a privilege, God, to follow you. And we just pray, help us to abide in you so that we bear much fruit. Help us to be a self-denier, a love giver, a scripture consumer, a disciple maker, living out what it means to be your disciple, God. And we just give ourselves to you. We really want you. We really want to be passionate disciples for you. Help us to be the salt and light that you have created us to be. Even as we live out, live this truth out. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen.
0: I want you to hang here for a second. I was on a, I was on a coaching call yesterday morning. I uh, do T7R coaching online. We have a couple hundred people that are online getting coached. And, you know, I, I want to just, I'm sitting back there listening to this and I'm going, I, you know, there's a couple of responses. I think one is, man, I want to be a better Christian. Yeah, that's an honest response. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to encourage you. You aren't going to go from zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds. But we're going to do something very unusual. We are going to lean into disciple-making by the grace and power of God. And let me give you the most important element of disciple-making where we've missed it as a church. So walking through this coaching thing and then one of the co-facilitators with me said okay we've explained to you what it is to really disciple someone we call them sharpening conversations He he said who wants to interview me who wants to disciple me a courageous woman on zoom lifted her hand and said i'll do it and leanne walked in and walked forward in that Zoom meeting and began to ask a few probing questions and I want to ask you that one today. What is the one thing in your life that if God would get victory in today you would have more spiritual victories tomorrow? You know, I I want you to know something. You know what that is. You know what it is. If it's time management, if it's a besetting sin that just keeps reoccurring and kicking your tail over and over again, you know what it is. If it's an attitude towards superiors that you work with, you know what it is. But generally speaking, we have found this to be true, and it is for me. There is one thing that is kicking our tail. One thing a sarcastic attitude spiritual gift of cynicism which I I look it ain't in here but whatever that is maybe it's pride I don't know that we're going to fix that today but I want you to lay that one thing before the Lord right now maybe that's your act of self-denial you know, Ajit said it rightly. Self-denial, we think, is the pinnacle of Christianity. Now, it's entry-level stuff. But if you lay down your life as Jesus did for you, the blessings coming your way are immense, immense. I know it's hard. Everyone around us is telling us, get taller, make more, be more. Fake it till you make it. I'm telling you today, the way up in the kingdom of God is always down. The richest men and women of faith that I've ever met and the richest times in my life have always been by making less of me and more of my Father. I don't want you to look at these like just said and go, yeah, i got to deny myself. i got to give love. I really should be in the word. Uh, disciple maker God rapture me before that has to happen (laughs) I I get all that but really all we need to do is say Holy Spirit give me the strength to do what I cannot do I'm going to ask you to hang here with me because you never know when I'm going to call on my right hand (laughs) man you know we got really unique season that we're in right now and I've got an important couple of things to give you. Just pour out my heart for a moment and then we're going to let you go. One is November 12th, for those of you that haven't heard, we've got a really cool thing going on. We're launching a new campus in the northwest burbs in Elk Grove just off Field Road. We've had over 18,000 people view the video that's on my Facebook page. In fact, I want you to ramp up social media. If you wouldn't mind going to Facebook and looking for my name, it's Carl with a K, Claussen, spelled like Swedes, not Norwegians. C L A U S O N S O N. No, go go check it out. Maybe make a comment or do, yeah, every time you put a comment down, uh, Zuckerberg says, well, fire up that algorithm for him. <laughs> so if you'd do that, that'd be great. Um, But I want you to know that we're gonna be launching at 9.30 and 11 on November 12th, and we're doing something called Save a Seat, not because there's a seat with your name on it, that would be weird, but we're trying to figure out who's going where. It's a commissioning service. This is your church. I want you to own it. I want you to delight in it, and I want you to be there. It's an unbelievable facility. So I want you to take out your phones right now and scan this QR code. There it is, nice and big for you. And I want you to, if you can, select which service you're gonna be going to. I can tell you right now, get this. We're four weeks away, we already have 100 plus people that have saved a seat, all right? We got room for 200 people in the auditorium and the fire marshal is strict on 200. So if you could scan that code, Sign up right now, and that would be tremendous. We We will not have service here. This is a commissioning service, so we're not going to have service here on that Sunday, the 12th. We're all going to be out there. And here's what I need you to do now that you got your QR code and you're getting signed up, this is what I need you to do. I want you to come, and I want you to be a greeter, and I want you to act like you've been there for 10 years. And I want you to help show people seats and I want you to show love because we are going on a mission. We have many locations, but we got one heart, one dream, one mission, a disciple-making church. It's going to be hard work, but it's going to be fruitful. It's going to be a real blessing. Thank you for getting signed up and if you can't do it right now or you got to talk to a spouse about this or you got to look at your calendar that's cool but be sure to do that because we want to know how many people are going to be landing there and at what services that'll help us a ton I want to give you a sneak peek on a couple of things one is for over a year I've been praying about this and jIT made it happen this week and I want to thank you for it. I have felt for a long time like we're missing a dynamic in this auditorium. Every week they have chapel in that lobby. They have over 200 people in that chapel. And until we get to be so full that we can't be in that lobby any longer, next week when you come here, we're going to have that place spruced up and all the chairs and everything is gonna be out in that lobby. We wanna take some of the workload off of the volunteers that are serving so graciously here, but really, I've felt my heart for over a year. We need to get into that lobby. There's something about a lower ceiling and not so spread out that frankly builds community. You ever been in a big old home that's so huge it almost felt cold? we're done with that we're going into the family room here and so I want you to come on next week be ready because we're gonna have a sweet time together we're gonna start meeting in there and some of you are like oh no is there there will always be coffee as long as pastor Carl is a pastor and I don't get taken out of here we're gonna have cocky I do repent of the Dunkin Donuts coffee but that's for another topic But we're gonna have coffee here so next week a big move we're gonna be in the lobby good all right it's gonna be really cool we're gonna blow the lid off that place Corey and team are excited about this and uh, it's gonna be sweet we're gonna continue to use this but we're hoping to even let our little kids during service time be able to stretch their legs in here with some of the kids workers be able to have some fun and then post-service who knows we might have a three-on-three tournament in here one day so it's gonna be a lot of fun and then God willing As we fill that house, and I believe we will, we'll come back in here when we can fill this room. And it doesn't feel like a ballroom. It feels like a family room. All right? We've got a prayer challenge report that we want to update you on. And I'm so glad that when I met with the DLT this week that they highlighted this one. We have a big answer to prayer. You know what it is? If you can put that next slide up, that'd be great. The big answer to prayer that we have is that God has provided an amazing provision in Elk Grove. Now, the long and the short of it is, remember, we asked you to pray about a few different things. One is for miraculous provision, and that's what I want to celebrate this morning. When when we went to praying and Jay... And Paul went to working on this Paul found this location now you need to know something God in his goodness allowed us to have great favor with these people and What began is about a two to three hour window was quickly expanded so that we can get people in there to set up as early as 730 in the morning and now they're opening the doors We've got a kitchen we can use if we need it. We got a coat room. We've got a kid's room that's gonna be awesome. We got a cry room for babies and mamas. Yeah, that's gonna have audio and visual support in there. We got it set up, man. And I want you to know something. That's a result of prayer. Pastor Carl, do you believe that prayer can provide a building? I've seen it over and over again in my life, large and small. God works through the prayers of his kids. I hope you believe that. Hard to read a paper when you get got tears in your eyes here. (laughs) Ah, one last thing I want to share. This would be a tough one for me if it wasn't such a joy. I want you to know that some of you are maybe ripping yourselves off. I wrestle with how to say this, but let me give you some backdrop here. I hope you know that my heart and Ajit's heart, Paul and Jay and Corey's and the elders' hearts here, are that you would experience the goodness of God. Kyle and Dalich, great Hebrew commentators, their comment on, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, is that oftentimes taking a bite of faith in your Christian walk is then followed by the goodness and the experience of his blessing. You know, we don't say much around, about, around here about giving, but I want to be really clear now. and need you to hear my heart because this can be so misinterpreted. Let me first take the sting out of it by saying, I don't get a salary here. I was telling the guys one thing really cool about being a pastor that doesn't get a salary here is that I can be a little more bold because I'm just like you. You know, my bride and I, when we launched this church, we were the first ones to give an offering. It was just she and I. God graciously brought other people in. God's blessed me. I've got some of the greatest running partners you could ever imagine. I believe that the days ahead for our church are so incredible. But I don't want you to miss out. You know, in 2 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul says, and I'm sorry about this because some of the late-night television guys, they just pervert this so badly. But if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. And so many guys have twisted that. And I apologize for those knuckleheads, but here's the truth. It's true. And I just want you to know that we've taken a big face step by faith to hire on guys that if we were just here and not launching a new campus, we couldn't afford these guys and we're not even paying them yet what they need to be paid down the road. But I want you to know we feel confidently led by the Lord And I spoke with the elders yesterday morning and they actually asked me to come and pour out my heart and I said, it's funny, I was thinking about doing that. But we're in a season right now that I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Look, I have a real privilege. I just give here. I don't count the money. I don't know who gives what. And that's a freeing thing because I can look at you and just pour out my heart here for a moment. But I just want to encourage you to taste and see that the lord is good i want to challenge you to believe that the god who sees your heart and the context of second corinthians 9 is that the apostle paul goes on to say and god's grace will cause you to abound more and more and so it comes back full circle to what Ajit was teaching today if you look at these and even the self-denying of giving And you do it in your strength it's gonna be horrible but if you give by faith take a big bite knowing that we're in this vision together I want to ask you between now and the end of the year to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ in the area of giving we're not going to be doing a capital campaign None of that. You know what we're doing? Good old-fashioned faith walking. And so I'm going to ask you to walk. For some of you, it's getting your toe in. Some of you, it's what the Lord told me driving in today. God's going to show you what you need to do. All I'm asking you to do is God's grace abounds in your heart. Go with him on it. Go with him on it. And watch what God will do. More than anything else, we want you to know that we love you, and we're so grateful. My bride couldn't be here today, but I hear her whispering in my ear right now, bub, be sure to tell them that out of all the churches we've ever been in, this is the most loving group of people we've ever had a privilege of serving. And I better stop now, or else I'm going to cry for 10 minutes straight but from the bottom of our heart, we love you. Let's just be the body of Christ, okay? Let's just be the body of Christ. Stand to your feet. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. To the one who gave his son, and left the Holy Spirit. To that one be glory and honor and power and dominion, the only wise God. And Father, over all these precious men and women here today and those online, I pray your richest blessing as they step forward to honor you in all that they do. Lord, help us focus on that one thing that's holding us back from everything else. And we'll be sure to give you glory. And I thank you. Father, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.